this is a faithful saying, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. Thanks for joining me today. This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Uh, good morning and thank you for tuning in. We're in Proverbs chapter 9 today. That's uh, the place of our study, Proverbs chapter 9. It's relatively short compared to the previous chapters we've been looking at. So we're just going to go ahead and read through those 18 verses. It's it's just those 18 for Proverbs chapter 9. So we'll go ahead and get things started here, beginning in verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maidens. She calls from the tops of the heights of the city. Whoever is naive, let him turn and hear. And to him who lacks understanding, she says, Come, eat my food, and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake your folly and live, and proceed in the way of understanding. He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself, and he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman of folly is boisterous. She is naive and knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house on a seat by the high places of the city, calling to those who pass by who are making their paths straight. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks understanding, she says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. And he does not know that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So as we conclude these ten speeches here, this is the last poem of, of wisdom, of four poems from wisdom that have been interwoven with these ten speeches that we've been studying for Solomon, which is one vast introduction to the book of Proverbs. And then in chapter 10, the actual Proverbs begin. And we've seen wisdom and folly go back and forth, and we've looked at the rewards of wisdom and the consequences of refusing wisdom that is found only in, in the Word of God. And so here wisdom is personified as a woman again by her house, calling out to those to come in and dine with her. And so what we have here in chapter 9 is a fitting conclusion to these to this introduction is is two competing dinner invitations right did you see that similarity there we have lady wisdom and then we have lady folly and they're both they're both calling out they're both inviting people who are passing by to come in and dine with them if we drop down to verse 13 we see that 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 change the woman of folly is boisterous she's naive and she's also verse 14 sitting at the doorway there and she's inviting the naive to come in and dine with her. Uh, so wisdom is calling the naive also, but she's calling them to turn away from folly and to come and feast with her at the table that she has prepared. We have all these um, expressions of, I have prepared uh, my wine and the table is, is set. And if you lack understanding, come in and eat of my food and, and drink what I have I have mixed. And so she has this elaborate feast that she's set up and she's calling people to, to come in. And, and Folly has also prepared a banquet, but it's a deadly one. 
Notice how the author is, how Solomon is characterizing it. It's a, it's a banquet of stolen foods, right? Stolen bread is sweet. And that ultimately will poison the soul, as he concludes there. Right? He does not know, verse 18, that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. And so we're not talking about literal literal food here. We're talking about spiritual food that's, you know, that's developed all throughout the Old Testament and, and of course in these opening chapters that we've that we've seen here. Uh, so we're talking about spiritual things, and and you know you you think about passages like Psalm twenty three, uh, that where where David also speaks in in similar terms where he talks about the the table in verse five that the Lord has prepared. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. We're we're familiar with that Psalm twenty three. Probably it's read a lot at, at funerals. So. We see in that psalm that the Lord, who is our shepherd, he prepares a table for us. And the psalmist sings, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth, in Psalm 119 and verse 103. And so it's not uncommon for the Bible to use food and you know that kind of imagery and these kinds of expressions of eating and, and describing the sweetness of, of the food to, and applying that to spiritual things and specifically the word of God, the, that that contains the wisdom of God. Right, your words are sweet to my to my taste. And Isaiah fifty five verses one and two offers a very striking parallel to Proverbs chapter nine. In verses one and two of Isaiah fifty five, let me just read this real quick for you. Everyone who thirsts, everyone who thirsts, God says, come to the waters, and you have no money. Come buy and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. And so it's a, it's a parallel text, just like Proverbs chapter 9. And Lady Wisdom is calling to eat, calling us to eat of her, of her food, to, to take in her teaching this in the spiritual feast. God is pleading with us throughout the Old Testament and passages like the prophet of Isaiah that we just read or in the Psalms, we can see David praising God over and over again for the, the sweetness of his of his word. And God is pleading with us to stop wasting our money on, on food that does not satisfy spiritually, in which there's no satisfaction, in which there's no salvation. You know, the food that is served at Madame's Folly table, in, in other words. So instead, we're to we're to go and and partake of what He freely offers. And when we look into the New Testament, we find Jesus offering this same invitation. Right? He speaks of living water to drink, and He invites us to feed upon Him. And again, He's not speaking in, in literal terms when He says, "I am I am the bread of life." He's He's speaking in spiritual terms. We have to consume Him, and that is to consume. To consume him is to consume his teaching, right? And and to be more like him. Jesus says, Your fathers ate the manna. This is John uh, chapter 6. John chapter 6 and verse 48. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died, as he's speaking to a Jewish audience who would have known this story, would have known the, the about Moses and the history and how God sustained his people with manna in the desert. And he said, this is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that no one may eat of it, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. My flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And if you look in that context, if you continue reading, this was a very difficult thing for people to accept. He's talking to thousands of people in this context, and John says that there were many who departed from him on this day because they couldn't accept this this teaching. How would this how would this man give us his flesh and blood to to eat? This is a difficult statement. Who can accept it? And so many just left. Right? They they were following him, as he says earlier in that chapter, because. They ate of the loaves and the fishes and, and were filled. And so they were looking for this physical uh, sustenance and satisfaction. They wanted to eat and, and be filled again physically. But Jesus here is pointing to what they should really be longing for and looking for, the, the real food, spiritual food that they should be craving and seeking from him that only he can offer. Right. And again, it's not it's not literal, but spiritual. They needed to follow him and listen to his his words. That's how they were going to consume him. So just as wisdom has built her house and and has prepared this feasting place. So Jesus is building his house, which Paul says in First Timothy 315 is his church. And Jesus says himself in Matthew 16 and, and verse 18 that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. And so the fellowship of the church is is centered on Jesus, right? We have fellowship with him. If we have fellowship with him, then we have fellowship with one another. First John chapter 1, if memory serves. And we have to continue to feast upon the Lord and consume his teaching and observe his memorial supper. Right? We we as we look forward to an everlasting heavenly feast when when he returns. Over and over again, he tells parables in which he uses uh, wedding feasts and celebrations and and festivals and things like this to communicate what the consummation of of the kingdom is going to be like. When It's not that Christians aren't in the kingdom now, we're not part of the church now, but we haven't realized the kingdom in the fullest sense yet in, in, in heaven. Revelation 19 and verse 9, he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words. These are the true words of God. And so that's what we're ultimately looking forward to, that that marriage supper that is to, to come. And so are we going to reply to the invitation? Right, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will answer, I will come in and dine with him and he he with me. So we have this invitation that Jesus has extended to us, and he's expecting a, a reply. And no reply is a reply, right? We There's no middle ground here. There's no straddling the fence. No response is a response. And so we want, but we don't want to leave, leave no response. We, we want to ultimately obey God's invitation. We want to answer his invitation and obey from the heart, Romans 6 and verse 17. And so we are we are just foolish people who are, are our way is not in ourselves, as Jeremiah 10:23 says. It's not in it's not in man to, man to direct his, his own steps. We desperately need the wisdom of God and the wisdom that comes through his word that ultimately leads to salvation. We have to hunger 
for truth. There's nothing wrong with physical food and, and working for physical food to sustain ourselves and our families and provide for our families. That's all well and good. But the the emphasis in our lives ultimately has to be on in the, in the real pursuit of the real food in our lives that we have to pursue is, is the truth. We have to commit ourselves to that. And only those who humbly seek wisdom will receive God's blessing. And it's significant, too, I think, in this text, in Proverbs 9, that that wisdom invites the naive to her banquet. She doesn't bother asking the scoffer, right? Look in verse 7. He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself. And he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer. He will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. And so the scoffer is too proud. He's, he's hardened beyond reproof. Uh, he mocks wisdom, and he mocks Christ, who is the power and wisdom from God, 1 Corinthians 1, um, 18, 24, and 30. So if, you, if we join the scoffer in rejecting wisdom, ultimately we're going to reject Christ, and we will have no one to blame but ourselves when we receive the full weight of consequences that are coming. Because that's that's Solomon's point here in verse 12. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you alone will bear it. So the point is, is that individually we're going to be held accountable for those decisions that we make, for which invitation we we accept. If if wisdom, then then we'll reap the rewards of, of wisdom for ourselves. And if we're going if we're going to scoff and shirk wisdom's invitation, then we're going to bear that also ourselves. But ultimately, that leads to doom. Madam Folly is anti-wisdom, which is to say she is anti-Christ. And so those who follow after her will will die. Verse 18. And what we see here in this text, as, as in other, others, is if we, again, are truly looking for truth, if we're, if we're truly searching and devoting ourselves to, to wisdom and, and seeking Jesus Christ, then God will answer. Right, James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's a promise of, of Scripture. In Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, the prophet says this, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty boast of his might. And let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. So do we see the value of wisdom? Right? That, that it alone it comes from God. You know, when we begin to see the Lord as the Holy One, as, as Yahweh, as the one who is and who always will be, when we begin to grasp that He's eternal and that He's all-powerful and that his knowledge is just beyond anything we can get our heads around. When we even begin to grasp that, I think all other voices, all human philosophies and, and teachings and doctrines, all those things, I think they fall um, fall into a hushed silence. They, they get quieter. This is the beginning place of, of wisdom, understanding who God is, right? Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he knows and that he understands me. And Proverbs teaches that the fear of the Lord, that the fear of the Lord and understanding who he is is not only the, the starting block in the race for wisdom, but it's also the finish line. 
what I mean by that is that that wisdom, an exhibition of wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord and, and going after it and, and pursuing it and learning it and immersing ourselves in the Word. But ultimately, true wisdom also has as its goal a deeper reverence for God. That the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord lies at the beginning and the end of a pursuit of wisdom, a search for wisdom. And so that's why seeking God is the wisest thing you will ever do. The more you know Him, the more wisdom you will discover. And the more wisdom you discover, the greater you will know Him. The more you will come to know Him. And so that's not, we're not talking in circles, but whenever we, wherever we see wisdom in Scripture, we're reminded that knowing and fearing the Lord is key to walking wisely. Because all, again, all wisdom finds its source in God. Look at another piece of, of wisdom literature uh, with me. This is from the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 12. So Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and this is the last, this is the last book, excuse me, the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, and I'm going to be looking in verse 11 and 12. So Ecclesiastes 12, 11 and 12, the words of wise men are like goads, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. But look at this, they are given by one shepherd. Beyond this, my son, be warned, the writing of many books is endless, and an excessive devotion to books is wearying, wearying to the body. But verse 11 in particular is what I want us to focus on. It. All words of wisdom are given ultimately from one shepherd. They have their source in, in God. And if we're going to seek wisdom, we have to prepare our hearts to do so. We have, a, have, we have to have a heart which fears God, as we've seen in Proverbs and 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 this study and a number of different studies throughout the recent weeks. You know, we began with Proverbs chapter one and, and verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And that theme just is repeated over and over and over again. It has to be a priority. We we have to have a heart which fears God, which seeks to understand Him, which respects His authority and, and respects and, and reveres Him. Um, we and that requires humility, right? Acknowledging that I don't, I really don't know what I, even what I don't know, right? Acknowledging that true wisdom, if I'm if I'm even going to get off the ground, I have to humbly come before God and sit at His feet and prayerfully search His Word to gain wisdom, right? Proverbs two and verse six: The Lord gives wisdom. The Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright, and He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Yes, the Lord, the Lord who gives wisdom. And James says, does anyone lack wisdom? And James 1 and verse 5, and then the very next verse, the very next part of the verse, he says, let him ask God. Let him ask God who gives to all generously and without reproach. Right. So we have to humble ourselves. We have to acknowledge who God is. We have to seek wisdom and, and recognize the value, the value of possessing it. Proverbs 3 and verses 1 through 3. Don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God, in the sight of God and man. 
So we have to we have to know the value and understand, recognize that there's value in possessing wisdom and gaining wisdom so that we can conduct ourselves accordingly. So are we walking wisely in this world? What does that what does that look like? You know, James answers this question. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? In James 3.13, he says, Let him let him show it by the deeds, the deeds he does and the gentleness of of wisdom. And Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, tells us to conduct ourselves with wisdom in Colossians 4 and verse 5. And he says it again in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 and 1 Thessalonians 4. Right? Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. And specifically, he goes on to address our speech in those in those contexts. But as we become wiser and as we become more familiar with the Word of God and, and His will, sin begins to have a growing repugnancy in contrast to Him. Right? Proverbs 8.13, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. And remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, is the beginning of wisdom and, and knowledge. And so uh, another outgrowth of that is the hatred, the hatred of evil. And we see that again in, in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 7, if you're still there. Uh, it says, Do not be wise in your own eyes, but again, fear the Lord and turn away, turn away from evil. And so if we're going to be wise in, in a sinful world, you know, I think it's so easy to get desensitized to sin and its effects and the and the consequences of it that it that it can become the norm. But the Word of God is saying, no, it's not. That's not the norm. Evil doesn't have to be the norm. But when and when we adopt His view uh, and we see that behavior for for what it is, our hearts begin to experience pain and suffering and horror when we see and, and hear evil. Right? We, we don't want anything to do with it. Avoid all appearance of it, as, as Paul told the church at Thessalonica. Right? And that's part of conducting ourselves wisely. That's one of the outgrowths of, of wisdom and fearing, fearing the Lord. Another part of it is, is living with integrity. You think that might go without, without saying. But the, the scripture, Proverbs 14 and verse 2 specifically, talks about this. Whoever walks in uprightness, here it is again, fears the Lord. Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord. So people can talk about how much they love God and how they fear God and how they want to do what's right and, and obey Him. But ultimately, if they're not walking in righteousness, if they're not walking uprightly in integrity, those words ring hollow, right? Genuine fear of, of God and reverence for Him and respect for Him and awe for Him and love for Him always manifests itself in, in righteousness and in genuine obedience. Right? Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. Proverbs 14 and verse 2. The word uprightness means, we know, honesty and, and transparency. And so when our greatest when our greatest concern is what God knows about us and, and whether or not we are acceptable to him and what we think and what we say and what we do if that's acceptable to him because he knows it all, then there's no place for a secret life, right? We're not going to be hypocrites. We're not going to be one person in the church and one person at work and, and with our family. There's going to be consistency. There's going to be 
uh, a person of integrity. We're going to what we project really is 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 going to be who who we are. I can't help but think of Joseph in Genesis thirty nine and, and verse nine when he's being tempted when when Potiphar's wife is coming to him and attempting to seduce him, I should say. And she wants to sleep with him, and she continues to pursue him. And on this particular occasion in Genesis 39 and verse 9, she she grabs hold of him. She grabs hold of his clothes uh, and, and, again, is trying to almost coerce him to go to bed with her. He leaves his coat in her hand, right? He runs out. And before he does that, he says, you know, how can I do this thing? How can I do this wicked thing and sin against my God? And so I, I mentioned that. Because I think it it goes along nicely with Proverbs 14 and 12. Again, Joseph was a man of integrity. He was upright. He feared the Lord. And his primary concern, again, was pleasing God and living in a way that was acceptable to God. Right? He would have hurt uh, that woman's husband. He would have hurt the woman and himself in doing that. It would have been destructive to him on, on so many different levels. But ultimately, it would have been destructive to his soul. And most importantly, it would have been destructive to his soul. And separated him from his God. And that's what he was concerned about. That's what walking in wisdom looks like. And we look in the New Testament. And we see that Paul says that those who are wise uh, redeem the time. Redeem the time. You remember that text in Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16. I alluded to it just a moment ago, but let's go there and read it now. This is Ephesians 5 and verse 15, where Paul says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Your Bible might say, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Well, that's the that's the same idea. That's the same point. right? We, we have to... The, the person who is wise, the scripture is telling us if we're wise, we're going to seize every opportunity to, to prove ourselves a servant of God. We're going to refuse occasions of for, for vanity and sin and, and idleness, but we're going to seize opportunities uh, to serve our God, redeem the time. And, you know, there's a lot of ways that we can waste time and just let it slip through our fingers. You know, there's laziness. You know, when we fail to act, uh, and we just just kind of end up sitting and watching the days go by. And another way, I think, also is just by becoming so enamored and so busy with other activities and interests and of this life that we just don't leave any room um, for God. We're we're balled up in our careers and hobbies and different things and pleasures and entertainment and whatever the case may be. And we're so focused on pleasing ourselves that we forget that this life isn't about pleasing ourselves. You know, it's not that having hobbies is is bad. You know, even those can be used to to glorify God and 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 serve Him, which is what everything we should, everything in this life should ultimately be. Uh, put, we should be using it for even even our careers, even our jobs. All right, let let Him who works uh, work with all his might as, as for the Lord and not for man. And so we can even, even in our day-to-day jobs, we can glorify God. But the point is, is that we have to rechange, change our thinking and remember that everything, everything belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and, and the fullness 
thereof. And so that includes us. That includes our time. That includes our energy and resources. So we have to to take control of our time and manage our time and and give it give it to God. Right. We need to make sure that we're sacrificing and serving uh, Him and glorifying Him in that service. And so, do we? You know, are we conscious of that? Do we do we monitor our time and pay attention to what we're doing? Are we walking in wisdom? Are we pursuing wisdom? Do we have a heart? And have we prepared our hearts to do so? Are we humbly, um, humbly seeking wisdom from God and, and prayerfully seeking wisdom from God? Whose invitation have we responded to? Are we walking closer and closer to the house of Madame Folly? Perhaps we've gone in, we sat down, and we're just pigging out. Or have we responded to wisdom's invitation? Again, it's one or the other. Paul says Jesus Christ came became to us the wisdom from God and power from God. So an invitation to wisdom is an invitation to Him and to obey Him in His gospel. Have you done that? Remember, no response is a response. You can't straddle the fence. So maybe we can help you somehow. Won't you contact us at the Leon Valley Church of Christ? Please continue to study these things and and pray about them. And I will too. Thanks for tuning in. This has been Faithful Sayings.